morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and the double L team, Lyle and Lawson have some big news for you this morning. We do. Yes, we do. Oh, we do. That's oh, yeah, we right. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you all remember some time back we had uh, for a few weeks we had Aussie Angela who was uh, co-hosting here on Faith FM. About fifteen minutes ago, exactly, she said, "I do." Wow. And we, it was happening right here in the studio, of course, you know, COVID weddings all done by, you know, Zoom and on Facebook and stream yeah. from uh, Michigan in the United States, of course, uh, where it is about four o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon now. And they just said, I do. And it's all happened. Dude, it was so good too. It was so beautiful. Angela Boothby is now Mrs. Freinfelder. How's, is that how you pronounce his name? Fr- Freinfelder? Pronounce it however you want. <laughs> dude, good for them. So good. And of course, and of course, the uh, the guy that she married uh, was none other than the than, than the brother of the very very famous Minnie, who was yep. co-hosting here for a very long time. So so many Faith FM connections to this particular wedding right here. You could practically say you set it up, Lyle. You could take credit for that. <laughs> I think there's probably a few people to take credit for no, this one. No, you just, I'll just, just leave it to God. No, nah, just take it. Just <laughs> listen, if there's one thing that I know about older married people, not older, but people who are older than me and married, is that they love to take credit for things, particularly relationships that blossom between people. So I don't know why you're not just rushing to get in there and be like, well, you know, it all started when I introduced them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually Minnie who introduced them. What a sister. I think so. If, if my memory serves me correctly, she was like, had a conversation with Angela. was like, Chris, you need to meet this girl. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Juicy Shell has just come into the studio to clarify. We may need to make sure that we get everything correct. Okay, so this is apparently how the process worked. Uh, when Minnie was co-hosting here on Faith FM Radio, I introduced Minnie to Angela and they had a great conversation together and then it was Minnie who introduced Angela to Chris. So I kind of did... So yeah, I, you're... I, you're, I, think I can yeah, take a little yeah, bit of credit. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. take a bit of credit for Classic. that. Classic. It's, it's, it's always... It's always People in their forties taking credit for every <laughs> every relationship. I like how you said people in their forties. That's right, because I'm a good guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wait, watch this. I'll like meet someone like completely exclusive to Lyle or Faith FM, and I'll take credit. And for Lyle it. will take credit. Have it on Faith FM right here <laughs> on the breakfast you show. Know that, on the breakfast show. <laughs> I've like- already I've already organised it. It's just that um, um, <laughs> Lawson hasn't met this person yet. <laughs> See, it, it, it came because, uh, it, it all came about because, you know, I keep giving the number out, you know, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. call that number if you'd like to meet with Lawson, you know. He's pretty good catch here this morning. Oh, that romance no. is in the air. We've just had a wedding. And, of course, if you missed the news, Aussie Angela and uh, Chris Fraunfelder, who is the brother of Minnie, Mm-hmm. And Angela, who used to co-host here, just got married in the United States, in Michigan, not more than about 20 minutes ago. So do send your congratulations yeah. in to them. Um, wonderful couple right there. Or into the station, 0491 We'll yes. pass them along for sure. Hey, Lyle, I have nothing but good news this morning. Good. Okay, starting off, my first story. Um, 
China has declared war on all cryptocurrencies and they've completely <laughs> banned I, as much as I hate cats. I, I literally, okay, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm not even joking. Dude, China's just on a string of doing good things for possibly bad reasons. Like, like they're, okay, so, you know, they've like done, they've done like, they've like made all these like child health reforms and then we come to the conclusion that it's like they're trying to strengthen their population to go to war. <laughs> so they can take it. Well, the thing is, the thing is, if they, um, if they can produce a better home than the West, they will take over the world. It's yeah. inevitable. Hundred percent. Hundred. I. I. Now, I don't agree. believe that they can produce a better home just with legislation. The only way they can really produce a better home is with spirituality Amen. and with God. Amen. I, I fully agree. And this is why the West has dominated the world for so long because they had spiritual-based homes. Mm. Now that we're losing that, of course. Uh, the, We're slipping. We, we, are, we are fair game for anybody else out there to yep. come along and form the next great empire. But the point is, is that they make legislation that's good. You know, when they're like, oh, we're going to limit the amount that kids can go on TikTok. Yeah. We're going to limit the amount that kids can, you know, go on online gaming because we see, like, that these are negative. We're going to limit the amount that they can gamble. We're going to da 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 Like, from the outside, I was like, wow, they're taking care of their citizens. But the motives are a little bit... And and I would say the same thing about this because the whole point of crypto is to be decentralized, to be detached from the government. And that's, like, the enemy of any place like China, which is like, <laughs> but it's Where the government does everything, including parent your children. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But this is a good thing because crypto is the worst. And I hold that opinion. It's, it's dear to my heart. You know, you, you, some of you guys might be listening to Lyle say how much he hate cats. And it's like, but I have a cat and cats are great. And, and it's like, you know, it's just Lyle's irrational thing, but that, that is, a, that is, has rational points. My thing is that I hate cryptocurrency because it's ruining the economy. It's scamming people. It's ruining people's lives. It is literally causing vehicle shortages and silicon shortages. It is stealing power from people. It is like the result of you're, most You are worried about crime. cryptocurrency because it's taking up all the bandwidth when you're trying to go online. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing. The <laughs> second thing is that... And it, and it made your computer that you got bought there yesterday, uh, last week, more expensive than what it should have been. Yes. Like, yes, literally all electronics at the moment are more expensive because of cryptocurrency, because there's... Let me, let me just share a little secret here. Everything is more expensive right now because of COVID. No, but... Yes, but no, but yes, but no. Okay. <laughs> so basically China, which is actually interestingly, China is like, although they've kind of been at war against crypto since 2019, China is the biggest hub for crypto mining and crypto trading. So why don't the, the world. Chinese just create VPNs and keep going? Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's what they do because that's the thing is that when you have a big crypto mine, which is, I don't want to explain how blockchain technology works, but with cryptocurrency, you can set up this massive supercomputer mm-hmm. and acquire cryptocurrency by doing, mm-hmm. um, mathematical equations that help companies. Anyways, which is really Trade weird. Trade in air. Yeah, literally. It means <laughs> absolutely nothing. But, Dude, so many like of these crypto mines are based in China because electricity costs are so low in China. Like electricity is just so cheap and that's like the one factor holding people back. So like even international people will base their crypto mines in China because it's like so it's the cheapest place to run them uh, because you're basically running like a massive warehouse size supercomputer to to mine crypto like that's and then people get rich and, and whatever. But the thing is, is that like this has become like, you know, it's the same thing as like the war on drugs, you know, that went through 
you know, South America and all that stuff. They're like lining buildings with lead so that people, you know, aerial um, photography can't see, you know, heat signatures and all that stuff so they can hide their crypto mines because the Chinese government is just cracking see, the Christians down big in, time. The Christians in China need to take a leaf out of these guys' book and build their churches like this, their underground churches. And, oh, man, it's crazy what's happening in China with the underground churches, like baptizing people in bathtubs and, like, just sneaking around. Like, it's that's, a, that's an amazing story, which isn't in the scope of what I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> but the banned crypto, I, and personally, you know, there might be some of you guys listening, they're like, no, crypto is fantastic. I've opted in. You know, I've made money from it. I have decentralized currency. I'm not controlled by a government. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Disconnected from the new world order. Okay, I, I get it. You're really cool and you made money on crypto, but it's like You're also trading in nothing. It, yep. You're trading in nothing. You're That's trading right. in, in, in ones and zeros. I I question how this is productive. So, oh, and you know now, what? Maybe I'm just ignorant I, and I will freely put up my hand and say that, you know, online trading is not something that I've ever done and not something that I ever see that I will do. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I just, you, you've got to be very educated. You've got to work, work very hard to be able to make that work. But... At the same time, I just don't feel comfortable trading in nothing. And, and that's the thing. It's actually become essentially uh, a, a secondary poor tax. You know, we call the lottery the, the, the poor people's tax because it promises the idea of, of growth and whatnot. And now when you have your Bitcoins like Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff where you've seen growth and there's proven growth and there's such a huge market base, then it's good. But literally like every washed up celebrity on Twitter is like making a new cryptocurrency and then selling it to like poor uninformed people and scamming them out of money and then pumping and dumping and making money off their gullible fans. So it's just terrible. Okay. I needed to say this. Well, enough about crypto. It's done. Right, right, okay. Right. China yeah, banned yeah, it. Yeah. Good. Um, the other really good news is that farmers in the UK are warning that there's not going to be enough turkeys for Christmas. This oh. is fantastic news because that means people can eat more plant-based meats. And I thought I would get on here and share a bunch of really good ones that you can get in Australia because I have just been, you know, this is the thing. You can be a plant-based person without eating replacement meat, but replacement meat, it just spices up your life. You know, it tastes good. It's nice. It's salty. You know what? I'm not a big fan. There's one or two replacement meats out there that I don't mind. The vast majority taste way too much like real meat, and, and I've been a vegetarian so long, it's just like, ugh, it's disgusting. My, 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 my taste buds have changed. I don't like it anymore. Yeah, but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who are potentially thinking about going plant-based. So we've got, you know, the bangers, Beyond Burger. Um, there's a really good one that I tried recently called Veef, so V-E-E-F, um, like vegan beef. Um, the Meat Co. is really good, but... The, dude, the meat of all meats. If you can tra- track down a, a, a shop that sells lamb yong products, there's a, there's a, this this company called Lamb Yong. They're from Malaysia, and they sell this type of replacement meat. It's called vegan fried chicken. It will literally change your life. Like it is the greatest thing I have ever <laughs> eaten. <laughs> and I met, dude. I made like a wonton soup out of vegan fried chicken on the weekend. It made me cry. It tasted so good. And- you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. I know that number so well. I almost write it down when I go to you know sign up to anything or whatever. Like <laughs> yes. I almost write down that number. I almost say that number when I'm on the phone to people, like the RMS or, or whatever it is. And I'm wondering if there's any fans out here, long time listeners, who can who's the same. 
And they're just like, oh, zero four nine one zero six four six is not like they could just rattle it off because I've heard us say, <laughs> heard us say it so many times. <laughs> it's so good though. If there's a number that you need to remember, it's that one. That's the one. That's the one right there. Amen. All right, what's going on? So we're talking about alcohol this morning. Okay. Um, this is new research. Uh, Dr. Brianna Lees and others have been looking at this research and uh, putting it all together, mm. and. Basically looking at how alcohol increases anxiety, which is, you know, we've always known that alcohol is a depressant and that alcohol causes depression and it increases depression, but um, she's looked at it more from the perspective of anxiety Mm. because a lot of people actually use alcohol to deal with anxiety, which is, and a lot of people use alcohol to deal with depression, which is, you know, interesting how the brain works because when the brain is subject to depression or alcohol, or sorry, subject to subject to depression or anxiety, the brain will attract things to itself that will increase that state rather than mm. decrease that state. It's interesting. Just just on that, I want to add something too. It's alcohol's in a weird category as a depressant because it also elevates your heart rate and blood pressure at the same time. Yes. It's like... It pushes your mood down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's literally like the worst depressant ever because it's got like... It's like, it's like depressing you. With the worst side effects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and really this is one of the big things with alcohol because you do get that, you know, um, short boost, mm. but the side effects um, of the drug is what really, really flattens you. Like complete debilitation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so the All research. right, so um, people, who use, people who use alcohol regularly are two to three times more likely to suffer with anxiety. Mm. And one of the things they looked at in this study was the role that parents have to play in influencing their children. And they found that when it comes to alcohol, parents actually have more influence over their children's alcohol use than their peers do. So we always thought that, you know, young people, they hit their teens and there's other teens out there that are experimenting with this particular drug. And so they start experimenting with alcohol as well. Sure. Um, but the research has said, no, this is not actually the case. With other drugs, yes, mm. peers have greater influence, but when it comes to alcohol, the greatest influence is with the parents. Wow. And so they've looked at a few keys to how do we actually solve this because alcohol is obviously you know, a tremendous weight on society and costs our economy billions of dollars each year. And that doesn't even begin to calculate the social cost of alcohol. Mm. Uh, but basically the key is to model good behaviour. Uh, oh. First of all, <laughs> don't model substance abuse. Yes. So parents that, so parents that take drugs or that use alcohol are more, much more likely to have children that do the same because, you know, totally. you do. It's, totally. I mean, this is, this is pretty obvious stuff, I know. Um, they said don't drink in front of your kids ever. So, you know, don't be sitting there with a glass of wine on the table when they come home from school. Mm-hmm. Don't have a glass of wine at mealtimes. Just don't ever drink in front of your children. Um, never model using alcohol to cope with anxiety, depression, or just simply to loosen up for social occasions. Mm. because it sends the wrong message. It tells them that if you're feeling anxious or depressed or you want to loosen up, then this is how you do it. Mm. And it will actually have the exact opposite effect. Um, Especially uh, don't ever get drunk because that's one thing that your children will not be able to miss 
you know, even if they don't see you drinking, they will see the results of it. And even when they see the negative results of it, they will still model that. Be- they will still follow the behavior that you model. Definitely. Um, and never, 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 ever, ever, ever give your children a sip of alcohol. Mm. You know, because so often it's like, ah, just give them a taste, you know. They're, it's just a taste. Uh, and basically, and they also looked at uh, the role of alcohol in pregnancy. And uh, we've always known about fetal alcohol syndrome and you shouldn't mm. uh, drink while you are pregnant because you can destroy your child because basically you are just drinking, you know, it's a form of rocket fuel. Um, and what's interesting is that the smallest amount of alcohol that is drunk during pregnancy predisposes children to alcohol addiction. And so they looked at uh, a person who during their pregnancy on one occasion had two to three drinks. Mm. Sorry, one to two drinks. One to two drinks on one occasion during their pregnancy. You know, because you know, a person is pregnant, uh, a, a woman is pregnant, and they, uh, they, they start off alcohol, but they're like, well, I've just done this once. You know, it might be a wedding or something rather than just, just this once. It's not going to hurt. No, it actually does. Um, one to two, tr- two drinks on one occasion uh, creates a greater, greater likelihood um, that the child will drink alcohol before the age of 10. Mm. That's interesting. There's a, a, a statistical link uh, um, between that. They'll be two times more likely to become a, um, an alcoholic. And the brain is actually changed in the fetus. So, you know, in the past they've looked at, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome and, and that kind of thing, but this is on very, very low doses of alcohol, how it actually changes the brain. And what it does is it reduces the amount of white matter mm. in the fetus's brain. Now, you've got your frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain where you make moral decisions. You've got the limbic area where you have, you know, emotional responses and you've got the white matter that connects the two. And what happens is it reduces the white matter so there's much less of a connection that the child then grows up with between their moral making decision part of their brain and their emotional section. And so they will be much more emotional in how they uh, approach decisions rather than actually thinking things through and making a logical, reasoned, uh, rational uh, approach to doing what is right. So what I'm basically hearing, sorry, Lyle, uh, but essentially is there's no such thing as safe alcohol consumption. Well, or, the World Health Organization has said that. Or safe drinking. There's no or, such thing as, there's no safe level of alcohol drinking. Which is just like, wow, because there are so many people, particularly in Australia, like who preach that there is. When World Health Organization is crystal clear, there is no safe level of drinking alcohol. Wow. And it, oh man, especially like as you're sharing statistics of how it, like, you know, the, the influence of, of the parents have on their kids. Now we're seeing like the, the biological and physical influence that they have, but then the psychological as well. Um, you know, I, I just think of so many young people who had that experience and I went through that, you know, turning 18, not a Christian yet. I was in the middle of that process um, when, well, before I was a Christian, I was like 17. It was like 18. I'm like becoming a Christian, but then I've got that other influence of, you know, my friends and family. Hey, Lawson, let's go to the club, da, da, da. But then like before I was a Christian drinking and there's just no breaks. Like there's just every time I drank was just to get drunk and black out because my brain's not even fully developed yet. You're 17, 18. You've had that model to you by your peers and your parents. Like, oh, yeah, this is a normal thing to do. 
yet you don't realize that you're you're actively participating in ruining your own life. And so I can just say with absolute certainty, like, it's just so true. There's no safe level. One to two drinks by a mother on one occasion during pregnancy results in a higher level of anxiety, a higher level of depression, wow. and a higher level of ADHD in the children. Mm. There is no safe level. Don't ever touch this stuff. 56% of the population of the world never drink, ever. Mm-hmm. The majority of the world never drink alcohol. Just because the majority of Australians do doesn't mean that the majority of the world do. And so let's join that 56% and let's see that number go higher. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. For our interview of the day is Scott Devlin from Creation Ministries International. Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, Lyle. Thank you. Good morning. Scott, I'm uh, actually super excited to um, have this conversation today because I was just reading an article that uh, you sent me in relationship to, you know, stars and planets and moons and so forth and extraterrestrial life. It looks like you've been interested. You've been uh, researching some interesting material. Yes, yeah, yeah. That um, that article was specifically about this new space telescope that's going to be launched fairly soon. It's been delayed a long time for the James Webb Space Telescope. And I think I titled the article, Will It Find Alien Life? But it was actually more about exoplanets, which are a fascinating thing that we've only discovered in the last 20 years or so. Yes, indeed. And, you know, when we talk about this new telescope, we got to learn so much, you know, many years ago when we put the Hubble Space Space Telescope out there. It uh, is certainly exciting to see, you know, a piece of technology like this going up in the sky and it will be exciting to find out, you know, what we can, what more we can learn about God's creation. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And I think, uh, so the article I focused on it looking at exoplanets, but it's also looking at um, distant galaxies, distant clusters of stars. Um, and it, it would be in the infrared spectrum. Uh, so the Hubble telescope, as you say, really transformed our view of the universe in a way because it was able to look at the dark patches of the sky where there was no stars, and it was able to zoom in on that section. And after a long exposure, they found actually there's loads of stars. Those, so we look up in the night sky and we see a lot of stars, um, and then we see dark patches. But if you were to stare at one of those dark patches for a long time with a big exposure, um, in a telescope, you'd see that it's lit up actually with a lot of stars. They're just uh, very distant and therefore are very dim. And so that's what the Hubble telescope did. It, it showed us that the universe is, is very large and there's a lot of stars out there. So yeah, and, not just, one, and not just stars, but whole galaxies that we couldn't see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is, there is lots of galaxies very far away and there's loads of them. And so it's, it's pretty amazing because... It says the heavens declare the glory of God, and really, there's this huge, um, huge universe out there, and God has created life very specially here on Earth. And yet, there's this huge universe uh, that's much more simple. There's these huge gaseous balls, uh, gaseous balls of plasma, which we call stars, and then you have these um, uninhabited uh, wasteland kind of planets that are dotted around the place as well. And yet, you have this one kind of marble planet looks blue from space because it's covered with water. And yet it's, it's a mystery, really, even how water got to our planet and how it's still still there today. Uh, yeah, we, we've got so many design features, and it's really quite glorious. And I like studying 
Earth in relation to these other exoplanets, which are planets that orbit around other stars. It makes me think, whoa, you know, Earth is, is really incredible. So why do we call exoplanets exoplanets? I mean, is our planet an exoplanet? Oh, yeah, good question. So I think it's all it's referring to is it's, it's a planet um, that is outside our solar system and it orbits another star. So it was actually only in 1995 that we had a, we spotted our first exoplanet. So a lot of people have thought, so if you think, okay, there's billions of stars all over the world, um, it was really a question. Up until 1995, it was a question. Are there other planets that orbit other stars? So, of course, we well know for a long time, for many centuries, we've got sun, and, um, I mean, millennia, really, we've known we could see Venus. Um, but uh, And now we know, obviously, there's Jupiter, Mars, Neptune, all these other planets in our solar system. But it's long been a question, are there planets that orbit other stars, which only really got confirmed in 1995. And now we know about 4,000 planets. There's about We've spotted about 4,000 planets uh, that orbit other stars. Yes, of course, if uh, people had read their Bibles, they would have noticed in you know places like Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 where the Bible says that God created the world and they would have had the answer to that question long before they were able, able to actually detect them and to see them. But uh, yeah, it's it's nice it's nice when science catches up with the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Now, when we talk about exoplanets, one of the things that you know always comes up, and is all you know the question I guess that you know people are always going to ask is you know life on other worlds, life on other planets, um, and it seems to me, and this is a question that goes through my mind, is that we see a lot of scientific initiatives which actually search for life outside of our world. And to me that seems to be very strange because if I was an evolutionist and I actually looked at the chances, you know, the the probability of life coming from non-life, um, life's just, just, just evolving from, from um, you know, inanimate objects, so to speak, I would then assume that, it is so incredibly unlikely that if it did happen, it could only ever possibly happen once. And yet we try to look for life, you know, on the moon, on Venus, on Mars. You know, we're still looking for life on Mars. I mean, that's just the next-door neighbour planet. Why is it that we spend so much energy looking for life outside of our planet if life is so unlikely? Yeah, it's a really good question, and I guess I guess you've got to think about it. What would happen if there was success? Um, so I, I guess that's the point with they're trying to prove is that uh, yeah, you you said that when you study life, you see that it's so impossible to come about. And yes, we've got many scientists that say this, but then scientists in other disciplines say, well, actually, it must it can't be too hard because we're here, and therefore because it can't be too hard, it must happen on other planets. It must happen elsewhere. Um, and so, so I guess that drives the search is that we're here and we came here by random chance. So there must be another opportunity. There must be another random chance happening somewhere out there. And if we can find evidence of that, then we can show that we're, it's not too hard to create life. And therefore, uh, we did come here by chance because look, there's life elsewhere. 
Now, as you mentioned, since the uh, mid-1990s, we have started discovering exoplanets, in other words, planets outside of our solar system. And yes. from time to time, we'll hear a, you know, a scientific discovery that talks about a planet that is in a habitable zone. What does that actually mean? Yes, good question. So habitable zone means that the planet is the right distance away from the star that liquid water would be possible um, on the surface. And of course, that's, that's a big thing because we have, we know there's ice on Mars. Uh, we know there's ice on even some of the moons around Jupiter and Saturn. But uh, is uh, with Mars, for example, if you look at where the ice is and you could get water vapor as well, but you can't get liquid water um, because of the transition points, because of the pressure and the temperature on Mars does not allow for liquid water. And so, um, yeah, anyway, liquid water, the habitable zone is all about liquid water. And yet in that article, I make the point that, yes, we've found lots of planets within the habitable zone, but that's only one requirement for life. Uh, people that have really looked into this say that there's at least 200 requirements for life. So if you think about it, okay, we're in the right, we're the right distance away from the star, but it's not too hot, not too cold. They also call it the Goldilocks zone. But I, I kind of make the point that it's misnamed. The habitable zone is a bit misnamed because when you see a popular article about an exoplanet found in the habitable zone, it conjures up images of, oh, this is, this definitely does have liquid water and there's mountain ranges and maybe there's grass and maybe there's uh, different animals and plants and you know all, all this stuff can exist but really that's only one requirement for the world to be habitable and actually it does, it's not even a sure indicator that liquid water could exist there even if it was there so if you manage to transport liquid water to a planet in the habitable zone somehow and um, evolutionists say that we got our water through meteorites bombarding us thousands of millions, probably billions of meteorites bombarding us with a little bit of water on a little bit of ice. So imagine you've got an exoplanet. It's got all the water on it. Is it going to keep the water? Well, it needs the right atmosphere as well. So that's another thing about the Earth. We have um, a very finely balanced atmosphere as well as our distance from the sun that makes it very habitable. But one more thing I'll just point out is that the sun is a fantastic star for us because it is... Um, it's, they call it a G2 main sequence star, and that just kind of categorizes it. But it's the best kind of star that we need for life. Because if you have a star, most stars are much smaller than the sun, the majority of stars, but those smaller stars uh, have a lot of flares. And occasionally the sun has a flare, and we need to protect against that. We need to protect our electrical systems when the sun has a flare. But our sun is very stable compared to most stars. So these smaller stars, studies show that they have flares a hundred to a hundred thousand times stronger than our sun's flares. And so if we had that kind of flare, well, that would kind of burn us up and we would not have life here. Yeah, no, I guess that's the question that goes through my mind is, you know, even if you had, did have a planet that had uh, that had liquid water on it, what happens if, you know, you've after all of these billions of years of being bombarded with meteorites or whatever to bring that water to the planet and then, oops, suddenly there's a solar flare, what's going to happen to all that water? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the point. It will it will just flash away. And then you also need a circular orbit. You can't have an orbit that's too elliptical. We are, the orbit around the sun is very close to circular. It is elliptical, but only slightly elliptical. Um, another point is that we've just got one star in our solar system. Most stars are binary systems or triplet systems, sometimes even more. 
And what happens is instead of just having one star in the middle, you have two stars orbiting each other, or you might have three stars orbiting each other. And of course, if you think about that kind of system, you're going to have a very hot, and you're on a planet in that kind of system, you're going to have very hot periods when the two stars are closer to you, and you're going to have very cold periods when the stars are further away. And of course, you can't cope with that. Uh, life can't cope with that kind of extreme temperature swing. Right. So when we find a planet within the habitable zone, then we tick one box out of, you know, 200 other boxes. We've got a long way to go to actually find one that sustains life that would be similar to the life that we understand here on this planet. Um, the other question that goes through my mind is why is there an assumption then that life can only exist, you know, with water? I mean, couldn't life evolve in a different kind of way that we don't understand with our present, you know, laws of nature and science and physics and so forth? Yeah, and, and that's a question that some people look into, but no one's really conceived of it yet. Now, there's a possibility that instead of, uh, there might be kind of life that could live off methane instead of oxygen, so there's a few things that can be swapped, but generally um, I think there's a scientific discipline called astrobiology. Um, and that's quite a difficult discipline because you're looking for life elsewhere. <laughs> and uh, they've concluded that the best chance of life is going to be conditioned very similar to Earth. And um, so we've just not been able to conceive of that yet. So, yeah, possibly that's true. Um, but it, it doesn't seem like the scientists are saying that's not the thing they're looking for. And coming from a biblical perspective, well, we know God created planet Earth for humans. We know that Jesus was sent to planet Earth to save humans. He didn't come to save Klingons. And so, therefore, we conclude that there isn't any Klingons or intelligent life elsewhere because um, the Earth is the center of his creation. And that's his focus. That's where Jesus came. Um, and he's not leaving some perishing extraterrestrial life without hope of salvation on another planet. Absolutely, and I think one of the, uh, I guess one of the questions that goes through my mind is that the Bible also, and the reason I originally asked this question is because the Bible speaks about angels and, yeah. um, and, and of course, Satan, who is an evil angel. And so you've got, yeah. you, you know, the, very clearly we have some form of extraterrestrial life here that can travel between heaven and earth in ways that we do not understand and live in environments, you know, between here and there that, you know, is far beyond our scientific understanding. And so I think, you know, when we, when we focus all of our attention on looking for planets that are in a habitable zone, then we're kind of narrowing, you know, where we should be looking as far as finding other life forms go. You know, maybe we should be looking into, you know, spirituality and, and talking to God about it because God talks about angels and he talks about heaven. And, uh, you know, there's a whole realm of scientific discovery that there that we can delve into, you know, one day in the future, certainly not now. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Lyle. And it's actually, um, if you think about the rise of the interest in extraterrestrial life and aliens and UFOs, really that, if you grasp that, it's really the 60s, you see a huge kick up. Um, and it's funny that that correlates with the rise of the teaching of evolution in schools. Now, correlation is not necessarily causation, but hear this. It, 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 uh, my idea of it is that Okay, 200 years ago, if you saw a flash in the sky or if you saw something that looked kind of strange or supernatural, um, in the Western world, it'd be attributed uh, to angels or demons. Um, whereas if you see that kind of thing now, 
what's it attributed to? Oh, it's maybe it's a UFO or it's an alien encounter. Um, if someone had um, a demonic attack in the night, it'd be, oh, it's a demon. Hundred years ago, now it's like, oh, it's an alien. And so it, there's an interesting correlation here. Okay, with the with the decline of spirituality, with the decline of, in the Western world of spirituality, but the rise of evolution, the phenomenon that we can't explain with our naturalistic mindset is attributed to something extraterrestrial as opposed to attributed to something spiritual. And I just, I, I find that interesting. It seems like uh, there's a story there. There is a story there. That is exceptionally fascinating. Unfortunately, we're, um, we're out of time, Scott. That time went really fast. Um, before we go, very quickly, tell us about uh, CMI and uh, how we can interact with um, Creation Ministries. Yeah, so we're a Creation Apologetics Ministry and probably the best way to find out more information if you're interested about these type of things, creation evolution, aliens, astronomy, other worlds, it is to go to creation.com. Um, that's a website we've had for a while. We have 5 million unique visitors per year. And if you want to if you want to have a Google for theology and science and you want some good uh, biblical-based opinions on scientific issues, then head there, creation.com. Scott Devlin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We always appreciate it when CMI comes on the show. Right. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.